This is Joe Cole, and you're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. We got a Matt Loss special. That's right. Matt, how's it going? Resident Chelsea expert, staying busy. I, look, I'm impressed with us both because we've managed to navigate the change of the uh, the clocks in, in the UK, which we've had problems with before. So just just being on the call with you, I think we're 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 already winning, aren't we? You're not wrong. Like, ladies and gentlemen, this has been a multi-year struggle for us on the podcast of like not messing up the start time with a UK guest around daylight savings. So far, we're one for one with Matt. To be fair, Matt, I was asking you about it about a month ago just to make sure we didn't miss anything. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I'm always, I always get confused myself as well. I always wrap myself up into knots. All the clocks in the house are showing different times at the moment. Yeah, well, we don't move until this coming weekend. So anyways, then we'll switch it all back and figure it out. But anyways, uh, listeners, a little bit different this time. Normally, we're like, Matt, tell me who Chelsea's going to sign in January. What's going on with the stadium? <laughs> we're going to just actually focus on kind of the different paths that Chelsea and Tottenham have taken, even though there's a lot of similarities. And obviously, Matt covers Tottenham, covers Chelsea, so I think it'll be the perfect person ahead of the match this evening um, to kind of just see what's going on. What is different? What are the tangible differences? So, uh, Matt, I guess we can start literally at the top, right? Um, Chelsea have new, re- relatively new ownership. Tottenham don't. They had a little bit of drama, though, with their owner this summer. Did anything ever come from that? Not yet, no. Um, yeah, we've got to be careful what we, we say around Joe Lewis, but obviously yeah, potential potential problems there, let's say. But no, nothing's come of that yet. And then Daniel Levy is known to be one of the best, what I would say, football operators or like business acumen, right? Like they make profit, they continue to be somewhat successful, lacking of the trophies, right? But like just built a new stadium, like on the profit and loss, the balance sheet, I think uh, Tottenham have uh, a lot of admirers, don't they? Yeah, look, on the profit and loss sheet, he does. I've, I've got myself into trouble with Tottenham plenty of times. I've, I've never quite jumped on the, the Daniel bandwagon in terms of being some sort of football genius. I think on a business side, it's very good what he's done with their stadium is incredible. Um, if I think where they used to train when I first started covering their club in you know, they basically used to train at the side of a school uh, in a place called Chigwell in London. On the football side, I've always had a problem with him. I think he's a bit of a myth on the football side. Um, and I think he causes himself more problems than he actually solves. But yeah, profit. if you're looking at profit and loss, you can't argue with him. So then you compare Chelsea. We are just burning cash right now, right? <laughs> Buying anything and everything that we can. Uh, so that's a little bit different. But at least Daniel Levy's been there, right? There's probably a sense of stability, and he can kind of pitch his version of a project. Whereas I think one of the concerns with Chelsea, Matt, is that um, Todd Bowley and Bedadic Bali, I think they're still trying to figure it out on kind of what it is. It, obviously, it's ambitious, but maybe how they get there that's probably where Tottenham might have a leg up. Is that where they've seen early success this season? Yeah, look, I think the big difference between Tottenham is, and this is actually a, a criticism of Tottenham as well, is I, I don't actually think there's a pressure there to win. I never have done. Um, I don't think Daniel Levy, he, he's made appointments in Jose Mourinho and Antonio Conte that's made it look like he wants to win in the past. But 
he's he's basically punching for top four. Uh, anything else is, is is a bonus for him. That there's not the same expectation and pressure at that club to to try and win within whatever philosophy they have. And and his he's gone back to a philosophy that served him well under Pochettino in that he he wants um, them to buy younger players with good resale value and to develop players and, and do it that way rather than spending money on, let's say, ready-made players. Now, that looks similar on the face of it to what Chelsea's project is, but in actual fact, it, it's being done in two very, 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 very different ways. I mean, Tottenham's business in the summer was was very sort of pinpointed. Um, it was honing in on, on very crucial areas. It was done very much with the manager, with the head coach, even though Postacoglu wasn't in super early at, at Spurs. It, he he still worked very, very closely with them on those transfers. Um, and the people who wanted, I mean, Madison was his like, dream signing basically and it's worked out that way for him so far whereas when you hear Pochettino talk in press conferences he started on July 1st and he's made it very clear that really Chelsea's summer started without him um, and while he would have had a say on it he didn't play a hugely active role in that summer because the philosophy was already in place and that's why we now hear that Pochettino wants a greater influence moving forwards because I think he he thinks it needs to be more involvement with him from him in the future. So on the face of it, you can draw some similarities between between the philosophies. But in actual fact, the way they're being delivered and the way they're trying to go about things, I think, is very, very different. Well, no doubt about that, um, for sure. I guess we know what Chelsea summer was like, right? It was exciting, <laughs> right? It was pretty crazy. Um, they're in the United States. Obviously, we got to follow them around. What was kind of Spurs preseason preparation like? You know, they, and like you said, they only signed a few players. It was terrible. Their preseason preparation went really badly. Uh, Postacoglu has spoken about this. I mean, at, at the end of the day, they had the, the Kane situation going on, um, which ended with him leaving relatively late in the window. It, it didn't happen at the start of the window. He played a lot of preseason for them. They had games called off because of the weather on their preseason tour. Their preseason tour, I think, got cut short by two. I think on one game they had to replace the opposition, if I if I'm right in thinking, to a very substandard opposition, and another game got called off completely because of um, uh, adverse weather conditions in the Far East, and they couldn't even go there. So they they actually had a really bad preseason. If you if you not in terms of I think they, they lost their first game to West Ham, something like 4-3. Um, I know that Postacoglu was encouraged by the performances, but in terms of turbulence and wanting a settled and good pre-season, Tottenham didn't have it. I mean, you, if you were looking at Tottenham's pre-season, you were thinking this is not a good way to to start to go into the new season. And that, to be honest, that's what makes their start and what Postacoglu's done so far way more impressive they waited right until the end of the window to sell players right up until the last week the squad was horribly bloated but they did manage to get rid of players in the end they wasted very late on brennan johnson who'd obviously been linked with with chelsea who was another key poster target so it wasn't smooth running at all at, at, 
at Tottenham in the summer. Not not for a minute. Yeah, it's interesting. I was looking here. It looks like they got four matches in. And to your point, they played the Lion City Sailors, which is probably not who was originally prescribed because I've never heard of them. But I know they did. They went to Asia, right? Asia tour. They went to Asia. Like I say, one, one game got called off. I think it might have even been Roma who they were scheduled to play and then had to reschedule to that, that Lion City Raiders. I mean, it, it was honestly farcical. And when you mentioned Joe Lewis, who, like I said, we can't really go into detail over because of legal reasons. Remember, they've also had the Peritici, um business as well of him being banned worldwide, mm-hmm. albeit he was still allowed to work as a consultant for Tottenham over the summer, which was a little bit weird. But again, Messi, it's, it's only just now they've hired a director of football who's about to start. They've just, about, they've just hired a chief scout who's about to start. So it's actually, it's actually been really messy in the background, which, again, I, I actually put it to Poster Coglu in one press conference that, you know, is this any sort of honeymoon period? And he almost sort of spat out his coffee at me. He, he kind of went through all the list of reasons of, you know, come on, mate, is, is a honeymoon period selling Harry Kane? Is it having these games called off? Is it not having the players in? And he was right. It, it's not... It's not like he's been put into an easy situation. Which, again, I think this just shows how wild, because coming out of preseason, like Chelsea fans, barring the Nkunku injury in Chicago against Dortmund, we had won all of our matches, barring a draw against Newcastle. Team was flying. New players are coming in. Looked settled. Potch seemed to be in control. Knew what he wanted to do with the team. Back three, back four. Playing around some different things. That obviously was some late shifting, right? Keppa leaving to Madrid after the Courtois injury. I think that I think most people are like, okay, no big deal. We can we can manage this. A lot of though doubts over many players' futures, Ian Motson, Connor Gallagher, just to name a few. But I think largely Chelsea fans, we came out of preseason hyped. And it's wild to hear that Spurs fans maybe came out of preseason really deflated when you like understand where we're at today. But I think I'm sure you were probably writing positive pieces about preseason for Chelsea overall, especially when you compare to last summer and the d- disaster last yeah. summer was with Tuchel. That's right. But I mean, look, I know it's boring. I know people find this boring and ignore, uh, annoying, but Chelsea's Chelsea's big signing of the summer, I know they made so many signings, they all get lost in each other, but their big attacking signing of the summer, the, the guy who was really going to solve some problems was in Kunku. Similarly, Spurs' big signing of the summer to solve their problems with Harry Kane leaving and the creativity in midfield was Madison. Swap those situations around. Madison gets injured in pre-season and Kunku stays fit. It, look, we'll never know. But I, I know from watching Tottenham that if Madison had got injured in pre-season and Sun played a game for them, they would be nowhere near where they are now. Factor in, had they lost both their fullbacks to injury for most of the season up till now, they would be bottom half of the table. They they wouldn't be able... Tottenham squad cannot cope with losing James Madison and both of their fullbacks. It just cannot. And Chelsea's squad hasn't been able to cope with that, with losing Nkunku and the two fullbacks. That has played a huge, huge part. And like I say, if you swap round those scenarios... 
I'm not for one minute saying Chelsea would be top of the table, but I'm for certain saying that, that Tottenham would be midway to bottom half of the table. Yeah, which, which you know, I think is is fair. But uh, it's an interesting point. I think we're going to pause here, take our ad break. I want to talk a little bit more about the managers and how the teams are set up. Uh, and then we'll get back to full Chelsea content, I promise. But thank you to sponsors, and we'll be right back. All right. Look, as as an American, I didn't know much about Ange, right? Coming in, he came from Scotland. Is that right? Yeah, Rangers? Celtic. Yeah. Celtic. Ooh, uh-oh. Don't want to make that. I know not to make that mistake. I know enough. It just went the treble with, with Celtic, yeah. Okay, he's got a bit of a... I did look him up, though. He's got a bit of an Arsene Wenger background, right? Like, went to Japan, was in Australia. That's right. Nothing big, like obviously Celtic was his big European job, but like the jump to Spurs and his short CV is credit to him, pretty respective. Do you feel like Tottenham took a bit of a gamble with him or was he like the exact prototype they were looking for? Because how many seasons was he at Celtic? He was at Celtic two full seasons. Okay. Um, and it was his second season he got the jump. No, Postacoglu has said himself that he was last man standing for the Tottenham job. They 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 wanted Nagelsmann. They interviewed Enrique. They wanted uh, Arnie Slot, who ended up signing a new contract with Feyenoord. Uh, I think it was someone else as well. They didn't actually. Daniel never picked up the phone to, to Pochettino. He definitely didn't. Um, but Postacoglu has said he was last man standing. He actually goes against a lot what of they originally a lot of what they originally set out they wanted. They said they wanted a young manager. Well, Pastor Cogley is not a young manager at all. I, I think he's about fifty-six, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't really fit the modern look of a manager. He makes lots of jokes about himself being overweight. Um, he's he's not what they were after. He's just not what they were after. And they ended up going for him after a change of direction that was forced upon them from missing out on other people. And that's that's how we got the job. And Pastor Cogley is very honest about that. He said he was last man standing. He makes a bit of a joke of it. He's talked a lot about how before, even when he was at Celtic and then before, when, before Celtic, he used to sit, his agents would get him interviews with, you know, English clubs, not great English clubs as well, bottom half of the Premier League, maybe championship clubs, and he would sit in interviews and just look at people and know that they weren't taking any notice of him because he was Australian, because his CV was in Australia um, and Japan until he went to Celtic. And he, he's had plenty of people ignore him on the back of that. He always says that one of his great, great strengths is that the amount of effort and how good he's had to be just to get here because of the stereotyping against him being Australian and where he's sort of succeeded is a massive, massive advantage to him now because he he thinks he's had to be so much better the, to get this opportunity than other managers with different profiles would have to be to get this opportunity. If yeah. you look at what he's done at every club he's been at and at the Australian national side who he won the Asia Cup with, uh, He's had phenomenal success everywhere he's gone. His, his Australian story is really interesting. He was the Australian national team manager. He went to one World Cup with them in 2014, qualified them for the 2018 World Cup, and then actually quit before the World Cup because he was so annoyed at the, the lack of progress within Australian football. He's a he's a real idealist. Um, very interesting guy. And, and yeah, has 
has worked super, super hard to get to where he is. Stylistically, I mean, how does he... Is it a revolution at Spurs? Brand new system, completely changed how they play, or is he just making small tweaks to try to maximize what they have? Complete change, complete revolution. They've had, obviously, their, their last two permanent managers, uh, Conte and Mourinho, both, you know, counter-attacking uh, sort of back... I wouldn't say back foot. I've always argued with Conte that he's not necessarily back foot, but not someone who necessarily needs to or wants to dominate the ball. Let, let's say is probably the fairest way to put it. Postacoglu is the complete opposite. He wants complete domination of the ball. He wants possession stats up in the high 60s and 70s. He is a 4-3-3 man, occasionally sort of moulds into a 4-2-3-1. Uh, front foot attacking, uh, not willing to compromise on those. Um, someone asked him once, I think, if he had a plan plan B, um, and he, he said to, I think his answer was to them, well, if you're a vegetarian, do you have a plan B and go to McDonald's? You know, his, his, his point was, I, there's, there's no there's no way but my way in, in his philosophy, and it is attractive. They've, they've not played, I mean, I've watched them a few times, I saw them at home to Sheffield United, they didn't play wonderfully. They've not played sort of champagne football in every game, but it's a, it's a lot different to what it was, and there is a lot more domination of the ball to, to what it used to be. So we can summarize uh, identity change, lost their identity in Harry Kane. Interesting preseason, left it late, have off on a flyer. Would you say, and I haven't paid attention, I was just looking at results, you know, uh, is there luck for them? Do you feel like they beat United 2 nothing? They drew Arsenal 2-2. That was a big North London derby match with plenty going on in there they've beaten Liverpool 2-1 they had the, the red card they're they're beating teams you know they haven't played Man City yet right but like drawing Arsenal who are right at the top beating United who are down by us in mid-table and beating Liverpool like you would say on paper some some big results look I, I was at the Liverpool game and I've never seen anything quite like it you know Liverpool ended up going down to nine men Luis Diaz had a perfectly good goal disallowed in circumstances I've never really ever seen before. Um, so there has been an element of fortune in there. I think it would be wrong to say that good luck has, has, has played a massive part in their start, but they've had fortune at the right times within games, certainly. Um, the, the big unknown about Tottenham and Andrew Postacoglu at the moment, and this is why I'm very reluctant to make big statements about them, is that we don't know how they'll respond to a defeat yet. We we haven't seen how they respond to a defeat because they haven't they they went out of the Carabao Cup, but they went out on penalties. It was a heavily rotated team. He made nine changes. Quite frankly, nobody really cared. We haven't seen a proper defeat yet. And until we see a proper defeat or a sticky patch, you can't make a rounded conclusion of, of how this looks. But it's it, you know, it's pretty much the perfect start. It has been pretty much the perfect start. Yeah, only two draws this season. All right, hard pivot to Chelsea, right? Poch comes in, <laughs> Premier League proven, losing Kunku. We we get a win at the beginning of the season, right? Um, make sure I get my timeline right here. No, we draw Liverpool 1-1 at the beginning. We're like, great, we're here to fight, to battle, and then immediately lose to West Ham 3-1 and then bounce back, quote-unquote, to Luton Town 3-0. It just really, 
has been a tough season. You talked about the injuries before, losing both wingbacks. You talk about Spurs getting the gift of the Luis Diaz goal. We get the, I would say, controversial red card on, on Malagusto just because it hasn't been consistently applied. But we do know we're lacking a striker. That that was always going to be the big one, and Nkunku was going to fill some of that gap. But anyways, like kind of compare this to Chelsea's uh, season so far. Yeah, look, I mean... I, I had to go through it for a piece that I, I, I wrote and I hadn't quite properly processed it because as you go through the summer, you just get used to the churn of players, the churn of players, the churn of players. Uh, excluding academy graduates, I think it's 12 players came in and 28 players left. I saw you write that. 40 players rotated. 40, 40 players rotated. When when I actually sat back and thought about that as I wrote it, like I say, without actually being in the midst of... Because when you're in the midst of a transfer window, you get lost in it. And to sit back a couple of months later and actually look at that number, 40 players in and out of the building. And that, like I say, that is excluding academy um, sort of youngsters. That That's just a phenomenal change. Like, I, I struggle to get my head around it, to be quite honest with you. Um, and obviously within there's also been big massive staff turnovers going on and on and on and on and on and you know Tottenham have had their staff turnovers too but it's such an an unstable environment still there's there's never been a period of stability since the ownership came came in and nothing close to it so I mean that that's a starting point whereby I think Really, it would it would be a miracle for for Chelsea to be consistent. Now, I'm not saying it'd be a miracle for Chelsea to be better than they've been because I think they should have been better than they've been. But I think it would be a miracle for Chelsea to be consistent within that, particularly with the profile of the squad that has been built. Because while while Tottenham have pivoted slightly to younger players with with resale value, you still have within that Tottenham squad somebody like. Wingman Son, who you can absolutely nail your colours to and, and know he's going to perform and perform and perform. Um, you've got Kulazewski still in there as well. Even someone like Richarlison, you've still got experience within there, experience of the club, experience of the Premier League, experience of expectation. And people, particularly with Son, not necessarily with Richarlison, but who you can know you will always get a certain level of performance from. And quite frankly, aside from Thiago, who's now 39, and I do think exceptions have to be made from over that, um, there's nobody in that Chelsea squad like that because the players that you, you could look at, Reese and Chile, are constantly injured. And then everybody else is everybody else is new. Everybody else is new and everybody else is still finding their feet and there's no relationships within the team yet either. There's there's no relationships off the pitch. There's no relationships on the pitch. It's so unstable. So, I mean, I wrote several times that I thought it was going to be a, a, a difficult, a difficult season of inconsistency. But I'd like to say I would like to make it clear that I'm not trying to make excuses. I think they should and well, certainly could and should be doing better than they have been over the first ten games. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, it's it's just a phenomenal, phenomenal amount of change, and it c- cannot continue. So, one hilarious. I just realized that the uh, Malagusto red card was against your Villa. So that's why you probably didn't say yes. anything <laughs> when I called it <laughs> controversial. 
But to your point, is that is that probably one of the biggest changes? Is it like the continuous upheaval on the pitch and behind the scenes at Chelsea? I shouldn't say upheaval, but just change. Constant, constant, constant change where Spurs, much they're more settled, so they're able to maybe kick on a little bit. You know, like we said, we look at it. I'm super biased, but I would look at on paper and think that, like, I, I'm leaning towards outside of our attack, having a much better team than Tottenham, right? But on the pitch, the results aren't there. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to go through that with you, actually, because that's that's an interesting point. Um, look, Tottenham have had their... I've, I've said Tottenham have had their instability, but they still have a couple of things within that that, that are their staples. They, they, Like I say, I keep going back to them. They have Son, who is huge for them. He's the captain of the club. You are guaranteed a certain level of performance. You're guaranteed a certain amount of goals. You bring in someone like Madison, who again is a guarantee in terms of performance and the level he's going to be at. For sure. So, but if I go if I go through the, the Tottenham team, I, I, you know, there's a good example. You know, they, they signed the goalkeeper Vicario. You love your goalkeepers. He has been sensational so far. I think he's top of the goalkeeping save stats. But I was going to say, I haven't watched him yet, but everything is like pointing to him being potentially one of the signings of the season just because of like plucked out of nowhere. Yeah, I mean, their recruitment, I've got to say, and I've been really critical of Tottenham's recruitment in recent years. It's, it's been atrocious. But their recruitment this summer so far, I mean, Vicario, I was worried. I thought, you know, signing someone like Vicario... Uh, to, to take over from someone like Lloris, who I know has dropped off recent years, but has been an absolutely huge presence for them. I thought it was a huge, huge gamble. And he has been so good. He looks such a good signing. And he's he's older than you, you might think. I think he's 27. He's not a kid. He'd already played for Italy. There's probably in me some sort of kind of English Premier League bias that I wasn't really properly aware of of how good a goalkeeper Tottenham were actually signing in, in Vicario. He has been superb. And I've got to say, I'm I'm not having a go at Sanchez here, but at the moment Tottenham do have the better goalkeeper by by quite some distance. They signed Van der Ven, who looks a Rolls Royce of a defender. Dutch defender 22, lightning fast, about six foot three. So good. Looks looks very Van Dijkish has completely not only solved a problem for them on the left side of defence, but also brought the best back out of Romero, who had, who had been terrible last season, particularly after the World Cup. But he's found form next to Van der Ven. Those two pieces of recruitment, I, I would say that the goalkeeper is better than Sanchez and Van der Ven. Chelsea fans aren't going to like me saying this, but Van der Ven is better than anything Chelsea have got in defence. I'm sorry, he is. Thiago Silva's 39 now. Thiago Silva's a legend and clearly, career-wise, is way on a completely different level to Van der Ven. But as players now, Van der Ven's better. And I, I, I've got to say, I think Van der Ven's at a better level than Colwell at the moment. I think he's exceptional. So, fair, right? Like, And, and I think when you look at like Romero and Poro and Udoji and things like that, I think the hard part for us is that Romero, is he in better form right now than like a Di Sassi or what? Yeah, probably. But the players that Chelsea have have the potential and the abilities to go way beyond. We're just at such a low level right now. It would be hard to say that 
you know, one of our defenders should go in right now. Although Chelsea have had quite a solid defensive record in their in in you know to to yeah. defend them as well. But obviously, if Reese James are healthy, Pedro Porro is nowhere close to it. If Ben Chilwell's healthy, Udoji, are you still? But we're not. And I think that's what I get like I struggle with. And I think this is the why momentum and things matter, right? Like our midfield, if you take Basuma and Saar or you know, Oisberg or Skip or whoever you want to put in, like, we're good. You're going to take Chelsea's midfield. My God, it's $250 million without Connor Gallagher, right? Like, that you're just going to lean there. But James Madison, Huming Song, for sure. The difference being that, again, you would think that Raheem Sterling on his day could, should do better than one of their wingers, but isn't. Mudrik is inconsistent. Mataweke didn't have a great result. So, that's the hard part with comparing right now. Is it? See, we're, Ster- we're Sterling should be Sterling should be doing for Chelsea what Son is doing for Tottenham. You know, he is their senior forward man. He should be someone that they can lean on for consistency, and he's not providing it. You know, I've I've been a huge, huge backer of, of Sterling over the years. A huge fan. I was completely behind the signing. I was completely willing to except that last season a lot of things were going on fitness wise and everything else but for all he started this season well i'm still disappointed in sterling because his performances go up and down and up and down and his up performances tend to come against luton town and burnley and those teams and not not the big teams and there's not the consistency that they can't rely on him and when i talk about what son does for tottenham Sterling should be someone that in this difficult time and when there's a lot of young players that, that Chelsea can lean on in a similar way and he's not proven to be that so far. And I'm not trying to dig him out because like I said, I've been a big fan of his and he has produced some good performances this season, but there's not the consistency of performances there with him and, and that is the problem with, with Sterling at the moment. Um, Tottenham's midfield versus Chelsea's midfield is an interesting one because on paper, Chelsea's midfield bar Madison, although you can you could maybe start having a debate around Cole Palmer and Madison, but Chelsea's midfield bar Madison, you would you would say looks a lot stronger. And yet probably not in time for necessarily the Chelsea game. Tottenham have got Benton Kerr coming back, who I've got to say before his injury was really, really good for Tottenham. I think underrated outside Tottenham. Um and Basuma has come from Postacoglu, Basuma was nowhere. He, he couldn't get in the team last season. He was absolutely nowhere. And he looks like the player he was at Brighton again. He's been really, really good. Um, and still, I have slight... When you say about a £250 million midfield, Enzo Fernandez at £105 million. I know he's been injured recently. Come on, we need to see some in. For all the nice little bits and bobs, we need to see some goals. We need to see some impact. We need to see a bit more from Enzo Fernandez if we're going to start saying that because of 105 million, he's, he's definitely better than other people. But yeah, I, I accept on paper that, that Chelsea's midfield looks on a different level to, to Tottenham's midfield, but it hasn't actually worked out that way so far. For sure. I think you're still going to get more out of a... Uh, Caicedo and an Enzo than a Basuma and Sar. I would say those are two very defensive-minded players that are well, shielding. I think, but I think what you'll find is in the next few weeks it'll be Basuma and Benton Core. Sure, it won't and then be, it's probably more apples yes. to apples in that sense because he's going to yeah. be far more 
free. Um, all right. Well, I'm going to pause there. I do agree. There's definitely some class players in the Spurs squad right now that we wish we had, mainly around goals, which is tough to say. But we don't. And I'd still bet on the players every single day. So we're going to take our last ad break when we get back. Uh, we'll kind of tie off in this and circle on a little bit of Chelsea. Don't worry. More to come. We'll be right back. All right. I think at the end of the day, Matt, um, you know, while Chelsea has a great XG this season, it doesn't matter, right? Is Chelsea has a great team on paper. Doesn't matter. We got to go out and play the match. So ahead of this one, obviously, this is an emotional one for Chelsea fans, just like it is for Spurs fans, right? So there's going to be that element um, anytime. We, we saw it with Chelsea and Arsenal, right? Chelsea stepped up a level coming off an international break that we had not seen this season against Arsenal. And at the end of the day, we felt aggrieved that we drew that match while all of us would have taken a point heading into it the way things have gone. Do you have any insight on how this is going to match up based on how Poch lines up, how, how Ange lines up in, in the teams and things like that? It looks like Spurs are pretty much a 4-2-3-1. Chelsea are kind of in that same mix, 4-3-3 with four, kind of two holding mids, three behind in the striker. Uh, they, they're probably going to line up pretty similar, don't you think? Yeah, I do. And, and certainly Postacoglu won't do anything differently. He, You know, it... it Chelsea will know exactly what Postacoglu is going to do. They'll know the team lineup, they'll know the formation, and they'll know how he's going to play. And and you know, even whether it's Brennan Johnson or Kulusevski or Brennan Johnson or Richarlison, it's you know apples for apples. It's it's the same setup. So Chelsea are going to know completely what to expect from Tottenham. I think Tottenham will know more or less what to expect from Chelsea. So I don't see any big. I don't see someone producing some sort of tactical surprise or or something else. I think they're going to go head-to-head. I think what gives me a bit of optimism for Chelsea is that their two best performances this season have come against Liverpool and Arsenal. Absolutely no doubt about it. They should have won both games. You know, second half against Liverpool, they should have won, and they should have seen out the game against Arsenal. Um, they should have won both those games. And that gives me some hope. They were both at home, but I do think that they are better playing as the underdog at the moment with a little bit less expectation and pressure on them. I think that comes from it being a young team. I think it frees them to be the underdog a little bit. I think that that, that helps mentalities within the squad of where they are right now. I also think it helps them to play against teams who aren't going to low block. And there's no way in a million years Tottenham are going to low block. Tottenham take lots of risks so that will help Chelsea. So I think stylistically, it'll actually be a match that's much better suited to Chelsea than, than playing Brentford, Forest, Villa at home because they will they will come out at them and they will leave spaces. I think it's interesting. It's great timing to have Reese coming back because while Udoji has been uh, very good for Tottenham, surprisingly good, I do think he would be probably someone Chelsea would look to look to try and sort of really put under some pressure. Both the fullbacks actually. Porro is very good attacking question marks defensively. So I think they will try to put pressure real pressure on both fullbacks and Reese being back, hopefully, uh will will help them in, in that regard and will give them a weapon in that regard. So I think that that is a big thing. Remember as well, Tottenham tried to sign or wanted to sign Gallagher in the summer. Uh, 
we we talk about their midfield. I think had Gallagher signed, we'd be talking about Basuma and Gallagher, and then whether Benton Court takes over from Basuma or Gallagher when he comes back and Saar wouldn't have, wouldn't have played so much. And yet Gallagher's been one of one of Chelsea's best players, and I think he will he will be a big player in in this because obviously the London derby nature of it will really mean that you, you need people getting about the pitch, putting that real shift in, really feeding off the atmosphere. My my fear for so I've gone through my positive what I'm trying to be positive about Chelsea. And I I do think I actually agree with Pochettino that I think their level of performance have actually been quite good. Their performances I don't think haven't stunk the place out at all. That it's results and their conversions that stunk the place out, not not their performance. Um and then on the flip side, though, were Tottenham to go 1-0 up, that, that's where I worry because I, I just don't see that mentality. And away from home, in that atmosphere, I just struggle to see Chelsea fighting back from, from going behind. I think it's so important they don't go behind, particularly in the first 20, 25 minutes. I think you're right. But the other f- ironic thing is that Chelsea seem to be better away from home. You know, like not a great home seat record. So we're going to go on a little bit of an away tour and we'll see how that goes. Um, You're not wrong. It's the mentality right now because so many things are going against Chelsea. I think it's going to be tough. Had such a positive start against Arsenal. You just are going to want to try to replicate that. I wonder if Poch tries to do something sneaky, maybe back five, try to exploit them down the wings and avoid the midfield. Um, just have an extra body if it's Tiago going against Hyungman Song, you know, because he can run in behind. I, we'll just have to see how they look to minimize a lot of the things that Tottenham go, have going for them. And because yeah, they're, I, they're I do, And I, I do think at some point teams will look to find ways of just stopping Madison. Because I think if you if you take Madison out the game, I think Tottenham will have terrible problems, even with Son, even with everyone else. I think that Madison is that link. He's that link between the midfield and the attack. He's the guy who probes. And if you can take Madison out of the game, I think you give Tottenham a real, real problem. And, you know, Caicedo looks a good a good person to try and do that with, to, to really try and take, to nullify Madison and just completely take away his influence. And, and then I think we'll, we'd see Tottenham struggle. I, I, I genuinely think it will be a close match. I don't see either side walking it. And whilst everyone I'm assuming on, on form will say that Tottenham are the favourites, I, I actually find it a very hard match to call. It, w- it would not surprise me at all if Chelsea came away with something. Yeah, so Google has it at 44% Tottenham win. Um, what was it? 30% Chelsea win and a 26% draw. Yeah, probably not a draw. I could see that. Like, someone's going to win this match. Like I said, there's a little bit extra emotion and things like that 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 go into it. It could be easily could be a wild clash, right? I mean, the there's been heavy tackles between these teams before. A lot of those players have kind of rotated out and things like that, and it's not really still there. But you think of, like, Connor Gallagher obviously still has those feelings. If Reese James is fit, he definitely still has those feelings. And I think we've seen Enzo is just a chippy guy, too. Like, I think he's looking forward (laughs) to taking a kick at somebody just to, like, get involved. Um, 
you know, we'll see. We'll, we'll definitely have to see with that. I could see something flare up in this match without a doubt. Uh, and I think it's probably advantages Chelsea to try to use that to disrupt Spurs, who are in such a, um, a, a, a just a rhythm right now. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And then we, we haven't even spoken about yet the fact it's Poch going back to Tottenham for the first time. What's the reception? This this is such a good good debate. I, I've you know I like I follow lots of Chelsea accounts on Twitter. I follow lots of Tottenham accounts on Twitter to try and just get a gauge of what's been spoken about there. And there's a real debate among Tottenham fans of. Will people boo him or will they kind of sing that he's still a Tottenham fan, almost trying to taunt Chelsea rather than actually belittle him? Look, I really hope he doesn't get any widespread booing because he did incredible work for that club and he definitely doesn't deserve it. I think we could hear a little bit of, you know, he spurs, you know, Maurizio Pochettino or something like that, trying to just taunt the fact that they believe he still loves he still loves Tottenham. I mean, I think ideally, from his perspective, he'd rather this wasn't his very first time back, that he'd maybe gone back already with a different club, just to take that little bit of heat out of it. You know, your first time back and it being with Chelsea is, is pretty hot. And I, he'll, he'll, I'm sure in the, I'm sure he will try to tell people that he will ignore what's going on. But I just don't believe that. I, I think he will be very aware of whatever reception he's given. And I, I correct me if I'm wrong, I haven't yet heard Chelsea fans sing his name. Um, I, I haven't seen any, I haven't heard it myself. I haven't seen any talk of Chelsea fans singing his name. I wouldn't expect it. We're only 10 games in. But if they go 1-0 up at Tottenham, is this the first time we might hear Chelsea fans sing his name, even if it's just to try and taunt the Tottenham fans? Could be a huge moment for Pochettino. Could be a huge, huge moment for Pochettino and his relationship with Chelsea fans. Um, it's such an interesting element of the game. You know, I'm telling you now, every every national English newspaper will send two, if not three, reporters to this game. And there'll be one reporter for every national newspaper being told to watch the bench for Pochettino as much as they're told to watch the game because... It's a story in itself. The game is the main story, and, and Pochettino is almost the, the other story. And depending on how it goes, Pochettino could even overtake the game if that element becomes more interesting than the game. You know, we've seen that before with managers. So it's really fascinating. I mean, we see managers go back to clubs all the time, but this 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 is different with Pochettino. That Remember, that fan base last season spent the second half of last season singing for Pochettino. Tottenham fans was singing all of second half last season for Pochettino to come back. And when he went to Tottenham, they were spewing. They were absolutely spewing. Um, and it's only since now they've had the good start that that feeling's maybe sort of changed a little bit. But, yeah, it it would be a really tough one pill for them to swallow for, for Pochettino to go back and win there with Chelsea. And I think another interesting element of this, which I meant to mention when I knew that we were going to preview the game, is that um, in, in Pochettino's first season, I think I've spoken before on this, that one of the big games was in beating Villa because he thought he was going to get the sack before that game. But also one of the huge games, and you'll remember this, was when Tottenham beat Chelsea 5-2, I think it was, and the, the year Chelsea won the title. It came from nowhere. And that was a huge moment for Pochettino with the Tottenham fans. Because doing that to Chelsea, when to Chelsea were having an incredible season helped really create that connection between 
Pochettino and Tottenham fans. And so it's really fascinating now that you have him going back and he could actually create a connection with Chelsea fans by going and really upsetting Tottenham like he did to Chelsea. Well, yeah, I mean, it could work in reverse this time, just the way things are going. But yeah, I look, obviously, I don't go to the matches. I don't know what's been saying or hasn't been, but from what we can tell, probably not. But there really hasn't been a result. You know, winning at home to Arsenal would have been... Uh, uh, a you know a, a monumental win this away at Spurs it it will feel bigger for the Chelsea fans right I think over even like a beating a city um, beating United things like that especially the way United are so this one's gonna be electric I'm excited to see the game a little bummed it's Monday night right is that gonna you know I think a lot of fans say that noon kickoffs suck, really deflated against Brentford. They just yeah. they don't enjoy it. What about Monday night? You said you like a Friday night, but Monday night? I look, I always think night matches under the lights, particularly for these these kind of games. You know, I remember the Battle of the Bridge, which was a, a night game. I do think the night games are, are good for these kind of games. If this was a noon kickoff, I'd be disappointed because I completely agree that I think noon kickoffs not in every single case, but in most cases are flat atmospheres. I think quite often you get flat performances for some reason at noon. I I quite like it being Monday night. It builds through the weekend, the anticipation, the anticipation. Everyone wants the game to come. You get the other scores coming through. Everyone wants the game to come. Builds, builds, build. And it's the only game of that day. I, I really actually think it suits a Monday night. I think that will add to it. I, I like it. And not just because I'm getting the weekend off because of it as well. Well, you know, silver linings when you can take them. Um, yeah, I was just kind of looking through some of it. But I, look, I'm excited. A good offense versus a good defense. It's going to be, is can Chelsea score goals, which they've struggled to, and can Tottenham keep a... Uh, and then can Tottenham, you know, penetrate our defense? That That's really what it's going to be, right? Is our defense better than Tottenham's attack is, I think, is is where it's going to come down to winning and losing if you have to isolate the match. And then I think from there, it's... I, I was just going to say I agree with that, but I also think this this kind of match, I actually think it might just come down to heart and bottle and momentum, momentum within the game as well. I, I do think, I know this is a horrendously obvious thing to say, but I do think first goal is going to be absolutely massive. I think either way, taking that momentum and taking that positivity would be huge. And then I do think a lot of these games just boil down to heart and momentum. Quite often in these games, tactics and all, all that kind of go out the window a little bit, particularly if the game gets off to quite a hot start. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm really, really, really looking forward to it. It was, you know, because Pochettino had gone to Chelsea when the fixtures were announced and I was looking through the fixtures, it was the first fixture I looked for. Um, it's nearly four years to the day since they sacked him. They sacked him in November 2019, so there's a bit of symmetry there. Yeah, I, I can't wait. I can't wait. And I, like I say, I, I, I may be a bit more positive about it than in terms of what might come of it than probably a lot of Chelsea fans might be right now. I, I've just got a sneaky feeling it's not going to be as, as clear-cut as the league table makes it look like it might be. Yeah, well, I mean, they're unbeaten in five matches, so we'll we'll see at home. Um, but like I said, maybe Chelsea going on the road will will provide a little bit of a different environment and let them be um, backs against the ropes a little bit, right? They have to come out and uh, 
maybe get to play in the counterattack a little bit more. We'll we'll see. But I tell you what, first place on 26 points versus 11th place on 12 points. That is a big difference. So, but uh, Chelsea are a big club. They got the opportunity. I just, I'm a little bit nervous rolling into this one, Matt. But I appreciate you kind of breaking down the different paths. It's been wild to watch these two teams have so many similarities, but be on such different trajectories. I I agree. I've got to say, <laughs> were, were Tottenham to win it, I can't see how Chelsea could possibly finish above them in the table this season. Nah. It's just too big a gap. You know, too big a gap. So not that, that that's necessarily the biggest of deals, but, you know, I, I can't see them making up that gap if if it stretches. So um, the, there's a bit of that in it as well. But, yeah, it has been a while because last season, both team, both I covered both clubs last season and I joked last season that I think I covered seven managers across both clubs because I think I think Chelsea, Chelsea had Tuchel, uh, Potter, um, Bruno for a game and Lampard yep. and Tottenham had Conte, Stellini and Mason you know Tottenham taxed their caretaker manager last season you know, both clubs were wild last season absolutely wild and it was hard to know which club was more wild to be quite honest with you but one one has settled down better but I do like I said right at the top of, of the pod I think injuries, you know, if you swap the injuries around, you could easily have this very much almost the, the complete opposite way around going into this game. Yeah, I think our still biggest problem is goal scoring. Like Tottenham still have Son, right, who is is can score the goals. We don't have that out now. Hopefully Raz will do it, like you said, and step in. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We'll Let's play the match and find out how it happens. But, Matt, appreciate you kind of bringing the, uh, the inside knowledge on both sides. Thought we'd try something different. Listeners, let us know what you think. Um, but, uh, yeah, that that's going to do it from us. Uh, more from Matt, as always, on The Telegraph. Um, go check it out. Follow on Twitter. Appreciate the knowledge. I won't make you predict, Matt. Don't worry. You can, you can make me predict if you want. I don't mind. Okay. I mean, I'm not going to offer no... a prediction, but if you it's... want me to predict, I'll predict. It's a safe space. There's no Spurs fans listening. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't worry. They see your clips on Twitter. They see your clips on Twitter. I get enough grief over your clips on Twitter. But you, you, I almost, I almost interrupted when you said you don't think a draw because I, I can see a draw. I think something like two all. Oh, well, I mean, that's what it was at the beginning of last season, right? When Koulibaly scored and then the two late corners from Spurs. Yeah, 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 exactly. So oh. that, I, I'm going to get accused of sitting on the fence, but I, I, I fancy a two all. Well, I, I think it's going to come down to, to one player, either individual moment of brilliance or, or an absolute blunder that, that costs the game for one side or the other. <laughs> I just, the way these matches go, it's, uh, it's, it's pressure filled in that stadium. It's going to be heated. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. A little bit of a derby. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, more content coming at us. As always, we'll be back with a match review tomorrow, breaking everything that happened down. But again, go follow Matt. Check it out. All of his brilliant articles uh, on The Telegraph. So until next time, trust fans, you know to do? Keep the blue flag flying high.